welcome to Brian Talks to Humans, a people's podcast about everyday people. In this episode, I talk with a co-worker of mine, Jen, and I think her story is a good example of what I mean about everyday people's lives being interesting and about what I want to do with this podcast. You know, she had a pretty typical white suburban upbringing, which on the surface doesn't seem like it's too interesting. But I think when we go further in our conversation and you get to hear how she's kind of really growing into herself and speaking her truth and how that's developed in the last few years, I think you get a sense of what I mean by, you know, turning points in people's lives and chapters in people's lives. Remember to stay tuned after the interview for important information, including how you can donate to the cause through Patreon. Okay, here's my interview with Jen. I'm not gonna state my case anymore because I haven't got a leg to stand on. I'm not gonna take the leap anymore because I got no mat to land on. I'm not gonna smoke that shit anymore. It'll only get me thinking. And I better not paddle upstream anymore because this canoe is sinking. Welcome to another episode. Uh, we're mobile today, still in Essex County, New Jersey. I guess I don't leave here much. Uh, today's human is Jen Rickberg. Jen, why don't you tell me about the intro music that you chose? Oh yeah, Politics in Space by Kate Miller Heike. Uh, I'm a fan of hers. I actually saw her in concert opening for Ben Folds, and I've I've said before that a lot of the music I picked up kind of in my 30s was opening acts of other concerts I was at, and she's quirky and fun and funny, and her songs are she's talented. I, I just and I like uh, some of the stuff she has to say in them, so yeah. So what made you choose um, that particular track? Uh, I was actually listening to songs with this in mind, what should be my intro, and uh, she's got a line in the middle of that song that says, I'm not going to be polite anymore because the whole world has bad manners. And I just kind of enjoy that, like, yeah, anymore. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to be however authentic I can possibly be, and I enjoy that about her. And do you think that that's sort of a, a line that might capture something that you've been through? In yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, that's a big part of my, you know, 40 some odd year journey is figuring out how to be truthful, which I feel that I always was, but I was very reserved, I think, until, you know, my later life. So that's a big, big change. And so I'm not saying that I'm impolite, <laughs> of course, but, you know, I'm not going to say that that's my highest priority. Which is a difference. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I would have to agree, knowing what uh, what I know about you. <laughs> True. Um, so uh, let's start at the beginning then. Um, uh, I've known you for I guess the eleven years that uh, yeah. that we've worked together. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit about you know before that time. Stony Brook, Long Island. Yes, grew up on Long Island. Uh, born with a black leather jacket. No, I'm just kidding. That's just a stereotype. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, grew up on Long Island and, um, have lived, you know, my parents still live there, um, in the same house we grew up in. They're Long Island born and bred. It's totally, uh, a Guyland family. A what family? A Long Island family. Oh, I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> 
what's that like living out there? Uh, how long did you live there? All, all the way through high school, right? Yeah, all the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think that in tons of ways, it's like normal suburbia, and there's tons of things that are not different about that than here. Uh, Long Island does have a, a more maybe specific history with... Um, race relations than New Jersey might because it's literally not mainland. Um, One of my favorite stories to tell my students is that the bridges on Long Island are all intentionally lower than the height of a bus so that people from the city would not be able to come use our beaches. Uh, Robert Moses. (laughs) And so, so, um, you know, I think that uh, there's really high levels of segregation in that area as a result. And yet, like, Northern, hey, we're not racist, we're liberal. Um, which is just a, not a weird thing to grow up with because it seems normal. But it's weird to process, I think, later as you're like, oh, maybe that's not normal. Maybe we don't have to be like that. And so, and, you know, since I also lived in the southeastern United States, I also experienced like, oh, this is what it can also look like and how problematic it is literally everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, different things are problematic in different places, you know. And, and that, that goes back all the way to... Um... As far back as, as like Levittown. Yeah, the Levittowns and absolutely all that stuff. Um, being a big part of how Long Island was formed as like the intentional suburbia, which my parents are a product of, right? Um, and so, you know, my parents are, are pre-baby boomers. They're born during the war. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so, but, you know, their like adulthood and moving east or e- farther east from where they lived is, you know, moving to beautiful suburban Long Island. And I, and I think that it's, it's proud of that, that the, the whole island is. Mm-hmm. It's also not actually all like that. <laughs> right, yeah. So, um, so you didn't then have much interaction then with folks who were very different from you because of the way that it's Not set as up much. There, so yeah. Stony Brook is a college town. Um, okay. The university, the SUNY University is there. And so there's, there's some levels of diversity that come because of that. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, Compared to where we live, uh, I lived in a more um, upper class white neighborhood, and which again, like I said, seemed really normal. But I think everything seems normal when you're a kid. Right? Have you ever seen Race Power of an Illusion? Yeah, episode absolutely. three, mm-hmm. and it's about a lot of the the race and housing policies from like the 30s to the 60s, and and a lot of the interviews take place in like yeah. Levittown and Roosevelt. You know? Absolutely. So I mean, I wasn't in maybe late college, I think, before I ever heard of redlining. But as soon as, like, I had this language for it, I was like, oh, yes, I totally uh, know exactly what you're talking about. Like, you know, like, never realizing that there was a plans. But, because how would I? But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so I think that, and so I think that that's something that I carry with me everywhere, right? Like, um, that I want to unpack that for other people because it was unpacked for me at some point. You know, I think it's a big... Um, it's huge. It's, uh, it's formative to our nation, um, but certainly to the microcosm that I grew up in. And what's Jen like in high school? You know, uh, I went to band camp. <laughs> I, I did not know that about <laughs> I you. I know, it's no information. Um, no, so I mean, like, I, um, I had a very small circle of very close friends, several of whom I'm still very close with, um, but not, I sort of was like, smile at everyone in the halls because I don't know anybody, you know, so I was kind of uh, a little bit withdrawn. I spent a lot of time by myself, um, like comfortably by myself, Mm. like just hanging out in my room, listening to music. I just was very 
much more comfortable by myself. I think as a little kid, I vividly remember people saying that I was shy, like when I was two. And I think that that's a thing that I sort of uh, internalized, but rejected at the same time. Like, I'm not shy. You just make me uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) But I felt that about a lot of people. So maybe that is the definition of shy. I'm not really sure. Um, Later, I, you know, in adulthood, I kind of embraced the term introverted. Um, You know, like, oh, yeah, being with a lot of people depletes energy. So I don't have, you know, tend toward extroversion. I think teaching has changed me in some ways on that regard because it's tiring. It's exhausting because of that sense of myself that's sort of like I'm not used to being around all these people, but I've gotten used to it also. Mm -hmm. And so it can be fun and energizing, which I don't think it was when I first started. Like it was hard. Mm. Yeah, I I definitely uh, identify with the with the introversion. Yeah, I, I'm, I being around a lot of people sucks energy. Yeah, out of me. absolutely. And, and still, you know, uh, I, I've been teaching for seventeen years. Yeah, and you know, I'm drained at the end of the day. Absolutely. Like I, you know, for the first I don't know. 10, 12 years, I, I took a nap every day after school. Yes. You know? And I don't really nap, but I go to bed pretty early. Yes, you do. It's kind like, of my thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, uh, what is it? No, no text after eight o'clock? At 8 p.m. Come on, guys. Yeah. It's the night. <laughs> so, um, any thought of going to the, the local university since you were right there? Or? Um, really almost none. Um, there was a moment when I thought I should simply because it would be cheaper, mm-hmm. you know, because there'd be no housing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a, you know, I don't know where I got that external stress, like I need to save my family money because um, they weren't telling me that. But um, but yeah, almost none. It's definitely, it's got a great hospital, a great medical program. I wasn't interested in those things. And so I just never even really considered my local school. And I always wanted to go away. And I always wanted to go to like one of those idyllic brick building colleges that's in every movie about college. And that's what I chose literally based on the architecture uh, when I chose Alfred University, which is in upstate New York, um, you know, sort of south of Buffalo, so western New York, totally was like smitten by the beauty of it. And um, and I had good experiences there, but I did not graduate because I also had, you know, a rough time when I was in my early, my late teens, early 20s. Um, and I just needed to change a lot of things in my life. So I came home and worked for a year and then re-chose, you know, like I chose to move to a new university and I went to the University of Alabama. So like couldn't be more opposite, right? Like small private northern school and big giant southern state school, uh, which is kind of cool. I have the best of both worlds, but I also have like a really varied like, hey, let's do the opposite of whatever I've done up until now. So what made you say I, I have to leave Alfred? Number one. Uh, I would say you... the dean told me my grades weren't good enough to stay. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it. That'll do it. I was on a leave of absence, though, that I chose not to return from. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just really was like, I slept a lot in my last year in <laughs> college. Didn't really attend class regularly. And um, and so, I, you know, I think that in hindsight, I recognized that I was suffering. Um, but I didn't really know how to pinpoint was it, it at the depression time. depression you Yeah, think? absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I didn't really know how to express that well. And mm-hmm. so I kind of just looked like a mess. Yeah. Um, and then, like I said, it's, it was a very small school. And so you don't really rebound easily, I think, when everyone thinks you're a mess. Um, you know, like my major had five professors. I had kind of screwed all of them over. <laughs> or at least that's how I felt. I don't know that I did. I probably didn't. 
but you know, I felt that. And so I really, you know, needed to reinvent myself and leave. And then, uh, and then I thought, you know, one of the other things, it snowed a lot up there. Yeah. Oh, it's terrible. So let's, uh, get some warm weather. And so I, uh, moved to Alabama. I have family in that area, so it's not a completely random change. Um, so it was kind of nice to have like cousins who I could, you know, hang out with and before I met people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, also, you know, paid $300 a month in rent, which is amazing. And I had a swimming pool. So. Wow. Yeah, it was fancy. So what made you, when you were leaving Alfred, what made you say, okay, uh, besides that you have family there and stuff like that, like Alabama, a big school for yeah. an introverted person who was just at a small school. Like... Yeah, it's it, I, and I think that it was part of my sort of leap change. I was looking at Southern schools on purpose. My brother actually was graduating from high school at the same time I was I was looking for my second version of school mm-hmm. and he's a athlete he played baseball and so he was being recruited by a bunch of southern schools and so he and I and my parents were like let's just go look at a bunch of these schools we looked at Clemson and we looked at UGA and he looked he ended up in Florida and um I you know it was sort of like oh yeah some of these could be cool I, you know just because it's so different um, I will say, though, about my time at Alabama is I ended up in the smallest major they offer. So I found my niche uh, space, uh, so, which wasn't really on purpose, but I think it was. <laughs> and so uh, this small major, what was that? I was a geography major. I actually took my first year there, you know, I had to figure out with a, with a professor, you know, an advisor, how to transfer my credits and what was going to be what. And uh, I had been a sociology major at Alfred, and they didn't offer that at Bama. And so I was like, well, I guess I'm starting over. <laughs> I didn't really like it anyway, so it's fine. Um, and so, I, but I needed science credits. And, and, and in the University of Alabama, geography is a science um, instead of social studies. And so, which is fine. So I was like, cool, I'll take that as my science. And I actually really connected with that professor. It was like one of those giant lecture hall classes, which of course I had never experienced at Alfred. Um, but I really thought my press professor was somebody interesting and I just walked up to him after class one day and I was like, I really like this class and I think I want to major in this. Can you tell me a little more about it? And he was like, oh, yes, absolutely. Like, can't wait. Absolutely. Like, he was so psyched. And so, you know, I met with him and I think he was like quirky and weird and he was also not Southern. And so I think that like we had a little simpatico, um, like I'm not from here either. Are you? No. <laughs> you know. So I, I took like a, a human geography class mm-hmm. in, in college once and I barely remember it for all sorts of reasons, but... <laughs> This is going to be a question of someone who should know, but maybe I don't. What kind of courses do you take in geography? I mean, we have a whole major in it. What are are some of the courses that are in a geography major? (laughs) There are sort of two wings of geography, or at least there were at at, um, Alabama. And so there's like a physical geography thing, which is actually a lot of it is what we teach in geoscience at our school. Mm -hmm. Um, Not that you and I teach it, but you kind of get the gist, Mm -hmm. right? Um, so that is a geography. So it's like basically thinking of the world spatially and then like human geography, which I also took courses in stuff like that, that the human side of it is how do we on earth deal with the earth spatially? And so, you know, you're looking at like demographic data and sort of, uh, diaspora as part of that. And so like, I think it's a major that kind of connects a bunch of other topics sort of under an umbrella, or at least it was at Alabama. And I really connected to that because I keenly feel the interconnectedness of things you know like um and and so i love talking about stuff like that like oh this is something i learned in history but do you see how it's actually affecting the planet and do you see how the wind is also creating the uh 
culture in this place. And, you know, it's like, wow, that's crazy and makes no sense and makes all the sense. And so I was really into it. I actually thought that I would go into like urban planning with that background, um, you know, sort of like a planning, zoning, how to make cities like better and more human friendly. Um, I've worked for one year in a city government and I really just didn't like it. So got to find a new job. And so out of school, working in city government mm. and you're married pretty quickly. Yeah, I got married the summer I graduated from uh, from Alabama. Yeah, because it's the South and you got to get married young. Right. Yeah. <laughs> But also, he was a little older than me, so it wasn't marrying young for him in his mm-hmm. mind. Right. And I went along with whatever he wanted. Where'd you meet? Uh, <laughs> we met at a church event, like a conference, eyebrows. Um, and, uh, and he was at the time studying to be a minister. So we were students at the same time, but he was in grad school when I was an undergrad. Um, and then he graduated and was like moving on to life as a minister. And I was like, well, I guess I'll go do that with you. So, um, this is, this is something, this is, this new, is brand new, new information. Yeah, This is new knowledge for me. I, <laughs> it, were you more religious earlier? In your I life certainly or? grew up churched. Mm-hmm. I religious is a term that I definitely always would have been like, I feel uncomfortable about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I definitely grew up church. My parents went to church regularly. We went to like youth group as kids and stuff. And, um, and it was a, a you know, a big part of my week, you know what I mean? With my, of my days and stuff. It's like how I made some friends and stuff. Um, and I cared a lot about social issues. So like doing charitable stuff through church kind of worked for me, right? Like I worked with Habitat for Humanity and other building projects and stuff. And I, I felt that and that felt good. Um, and so, yeah, he and I just met basically in the street at this conference because uh, I'm so pretty and, um, <laughs> and modest. And, um, and uh, you know, started a long distance relationship. And then when I moved to Alabama... But it, we were nearby, right? So we were dating seriously. And then I think he was just like on the road to marriage a little sooner than I was fully. But it's like when you're a girl in normal suburban America, your whole life is about when you get married. And so like, you know, I mean, or at least I thought it was, right? Like you picture your wedding dress from the time you're seven. <laughs> and so it was like, oh, this guy wants to marry me. Of course I'm going to marry him. That's amazing. That's awesome. That's what you do. Yeah, it's what you do. And so, Yeah. You got uh, looking like probably about like, I don't know, like seven years or so between um, when you get married and you're out of school mm-hmm. and when you start teaching. So yeah. what's Jen doing in, in that chapter? For his work, we moved a few times. Um, and so I didn't put down any career routes, partly as a result of that. Um, and so basically he'd be like, well, this job ain't working out. We're moving. Um, and so we moved a few times. We lived in the South. We moved back to Long Island, actually. Um, that he didn't have a good experience there. So we moved again and we ended up moving to New Jersey. He got a job in Bloomfield. And um, so I was like, well, I live here now. I guess I should look for something to do. And, uh, and actually, I pretty quickly decided to go back to school. And I went to Bloomfield College um, and they had a, like a evening and weekend program for education. If you already had a bachelor's degree, mm-hmm. you could do this like year, year and a half program there. Um, and I was like, that sounds like easy and not that bad. So let's do that. Which is when, and so then I student taught through Bloomfield College at the school we work at now and, um, and then just stayed. 
So when you, when what drew you to, to teaching other than like oh I think I can do that because everybody asks like oh yeah. you must have been so inspired and it's a vocation that you had a calling to and that sort of thing and you know for me as much as I love it it was it was sort of a gradual thing and yeah. it wasn't like this like aha moment where yeah. like I must go teach yeah. and change young minds you know actually you know so I'll say that my mom is a teacher a primary school teacher and um, I feel although I don't think it was ever said overtly I feel that she let me know that I could be anything but a teacher. Like women today can be, you know, it's like her brand of feminism was like a girl in my day couldn't be anything but like a teacher or a nurse or a secretary and you could be anything. So I really never considered teaching as a young person because I could do anything. And then I was like, I'm not doing anything. So maybe I should do something. I actually, one of, when I lived in, um, after graduating, after when I lived in the South, um, one of my jobs was at a, an adult school. So it was like a technical institute where you could get like a truck diving degree and a this and a that, like all sorts of things. And then I got a job as their GED teacher. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, but sure, I need a job. You know, so it was not really intentional on my part, but it was the first job I liked. Um, and I was like, this is cool. And I feel passionate about kids being successful. And, um, and so in that place at that time, a lot of my students were like 16 to 18, but yet getting their GED because they had either been criminally kicked out of school or gotten pregnant and got kicked out of school, which is a social justice issue, right? So how do I not plug into that? That's so me. So yeah, and then like I said, we moved from there so I couldn't keep that job, but it was sort of always in the back of my head, like this is a thing that I, I liked, I cared about um, and seems meaningful. And so I didn't go immediately into teaching from there because it was, I'd say, a good five years difference but when that opportunity at bloomfield came along to um get that quick degree it seemed like a good choice mm. so what other kind of gigs were you doing in the in the meantime that uh you were turned off to um i worked at a, a couple of nonprofits. i worked as a wedding planner um, what? <laughs> you know because i planned one wedding so why can't i do it for others right. um <laughs> i worked also at a camera company in their um like creatives department so like you know uh trade shows and and stuff like that like their communications right um and so i had you know a few jobs back to back and it sort of i guess i just always felt like you know it doesn't really matter what i'm doing here like not it's i'm not saying it's not a good job i have some friends getting some work done feel good about when i'm i've had an accomplishment like wow this is a great trade show we just did but you know it just didn't feel mm important like and i'm not trying to say that like airplanes are falling out of the sky based on my behavior but like it should feel a little more important and so like i said so then like when that opportunity came to get that teaching degree i was like that totally makes sense because that feels important and this this whole time is is uh is the husband ministering yeah yeah at various churches around the country what's um, what's that like being married to a minister i you know what uh i'm sure it's different for everyone uh i'm I was not a good fit for me. <laughs> it was, uh, I think that there are expectations that church people have that like, they're hiring two people for the price of one. And um, even before I had this language, I don't do free emotional labor. <laughs> it's not me. And so, you know, like, hey, can you come help us set up for the funeral even felt like an attack, <laughs> which it wasn't, of course, they're not meaning to do anything, but like, an expectation that's that they got a two for felt really present for me in my twenties, 
And so I kind of like rejected that. And I still to this day don't know how to make coffee because they always ask me to make coffee for these things, you know. I literally like, no, can't, can't do it. Um, and which is silly, but whatever. Um, and so at some point, um, I stopped going to the church that he was working at. Um, and he was cool with that, but I'm just saying like, I stopped going and not even pretending. And, uh, a lot of rumors spread about me and about us very quickly as a result of that. And I was like, this is so like freaking unhealthy, right? Like this is just such a toxic environment. He saw it too, but it's like, this is my job. And also I care about it. Um, but yeah, he eventually ended up leaving a church based thing and, and was working at a college. And so it was like a little bit more like in a normal work environment, I think, than being a minister had been. I mean, he was still a minister, but he was in a minister at a college. So like that made sense. And that's when we moved to New Jersey. And um, I that was better because we had a lot more separation of my life and his life, um, which is good. And then I got my teaching. And so then in my first year teaching, I think, you know, it's it's tiring. The work is tiring. And planning your lesson for tomorrow is like hard. And you're not sure how to best get this thing across. And I would like fret about it and think about it and talk with him about it. And I vividly remember him saying, you know, but what I do is important. So this thing that you're doing, you know, so it was like, because his thing was about God, right? And like, God's important. I'm not saying it ain't. But like, that was like a, that was a bad moment, right? Like where you're like, this relationship is not as equal partnership as I thought it was. And then I mentioned earlier that, um, when I started teaching beyond all belief, I out-earned him for the first time. And I don't think that was really uh, comfortable for him. I, do, I mean, I don't just not think that. I mean, he overtly said it regularly to everyone. And and so this realization that things were not as equal as you thought. Yeah. And his discomfort with the, with the uh, earnings, is that kind of what led to you splitting up? Or? Yeah, I think so. And I think that also like in teaching, I also came into a friendship group and, uh, and you know, uh, activities that I wanted to be involved in. And I just, I gained a weird level of independence in teaching at this specific school with these specific people. And um, I, I don't know that he felt threatened by it, but I feel that he felt threatened by it. He didn't like that I was different than I had been. He didn't like that I was as dependent on him as I had been. And, um, and yeah, we like fought a lot in my first year of teaching, which is also hard because again, like I said, teaching is already hard. Yeah. No, it's and a steep so learning curve. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I just can't like, I'm flipping out here. And so pretty early in my second year of teaching, I got my own apartment and then we split up. Um, so there you go. And was it, uh, like a, a tough, long process or was um, it one of, is it short and amicable or? Uh, it's like, uh, it was not amicable in the moment. It was like, I've never fought, like I've never scream fought with almost anybody. It's not really my style. And that's where we were. And we had known each other for almost a decade. So it was like, where is this level of <laughs> angry passion coming from? It shouldn't be, right? Um, and so like, that's also part of it where you're like, this is not even us. We don't even act like this. So we just can't really even manage this at all together. Um, but uh, you know, the day you appear in court in front of the judge that's like, okay, here's all our paperwork. We've literally never seen each other since then. Mm-hmm. It was like, well, take care. Good luck. Yeah. And so, you know, here's the thing. We didn't own a house. We didn't have children. We didn't. Ha- and so there's like a true ability to be like, yeah. Asta. Yeah. Right. So you were 
teaching, you know, like you said, you had a friendship group kind of growing mm. as a, as a person. Um, what's what's this, you know, chapter been like for you? Uh, teaching in general, I mean, so career-wise, it's the first tr really true career that I had that lasted more than a year and a half, you know, like, because I kept just bouncing from job to job and, you know, home to home. Um, I mean, because we were moving and stuff. And so basically, there's my childhood home. And then in between, I had, I don't know, I'd say 15 years of moving every two years, at, which is fine, but it's just a, you know, a changeable life that I kind of embraced. And then teaching is part of what made me put down actual roots. Like, no, I have a career here. We're, I'm staying, you know? Yeah, so it's kind of life-changing in that way. And I also kind of talked earlier about how, like, I think I was very introverted and this is a place where you got to be a site-specific extrovert, right? Mm -hmm. And, like, make it work. Mm -hmm. And um, and I've figured out how to do that. Um, and, and I like it, you know? I mean, like, I like the interaction the constant interaction and then like i said 233 i'm like well time for my sleeping <laughs> just a few hours because that took all of my energy so what's like the the best thing about teaching and what's like the toughest thing about teaching you think oh gosh i mean i think that different years i might have different answers to that but i mm -hmm. think that i think that the best thing about teaching is when kids are giving you the feedback that's like i am feeling this i I've never heard this before and it's so cool, um, you know, like uh, dismantling their idealism of Columbus or something. You know what I mean? You're just like, wow, that is so cool when they get it, when they care. And you're like, those are those sparks of you're going to be a person. You're you. I'm making this happen. I'm part of making this happen for you. Um, you're going to be so much more open when you're in college than maybe other kids would be or something. It's going to be really cool. Um, so I, you know, that's definitely the best thing. The worst thing is, is either simply that it's tiring or the outside stuff, the, um, new professionalism, right? The stuff that is the outside of the classroom, but yet still part of the job that is hard to sort of navigate of, is this meaningfully going to help do the thing that is great or is this going to take time from the thing that is great? And on balance, I would say that a lot of the stuff, the answer to that question would be no. It's Correct. Not gonna, like, I mean, uh, I might really try to seek a, a positive reason, but you've seen that I don't always, I'm, I'm willing to say, no, this isn't going to help, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. But let me say that my ability to say, this is not the most important part of this job. And either, so I got to get it done, but whatever, or I'm not going to get that done today. My ability to say that is, is, uh, it growth, I think like not to just always do what, uh, authority figure says like, yeah, I can't get that done today is, is power that I've been able to take in the last, I'd say five years. Okay. And what, what do you think got you there? Um, partly colleagues. I mean, people like you who are like, I will stand up against this. And I sit down through that and then say, well, nope. And so, so I benefit from people who are outright activisty about it. Um, and I also, I feel like feed some of that. Um, while at the same time, I think um, the supervisors that we've had have overtly told me they think I'm good at this. And so when they're like, now I'm going to pile six more jobs on your plate, I'm like, really? Because how does you say I'm already good at this? You know, does that make sense to you? And people with logic brains are willing to hear that, you know? Yeah. So I feel like being willing to say to an authority figure, 
I know and you know that this is not the best use of my time today is uh, social capital that mm-hmm. I've gained mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that I'm willing to currently spend. <laughs> yes. and and this is is this also the the phase of your life where it, you got to the um the point of as as it says in the lyrics you're not going to be polite anymore yeah yeah i mean like again don't want to say that i'm an impolite person but i certainly am willing to speak truth to power whenever i need to and need is of course subjective but like this needs to be said and nobody else is saying it or everybody else is saying it so why don't i it doesn't matter um, but yeah, like I'm not going to be quiet. I think I said sort of at the beginning when I was talking about that song that I think what I always, as a person who was seen as shy and who is introverted, I think I used to sit through entire hours without saying a word, but actively listening. That doesn't mean everyone else knew that I had any thoughts and opinions, right? And so I was like, oh, I don't lie. I never say untrue things, but I just don't say anything so i'm keeping it all in um letting that valve of like no i'm gonna say this right now is like just mentally healthy much less it also like helps i think sometimes so yeah i think that it's uh i think it's part of my version of growing into real adulthood is like oh i need to speak when i need to speak Mm -hmm. and i'm not gonna let someone intimidate me from the outside about that do you think that that uh growth into adulthood as you as you put it was was inhibited during uh your time uh, in your first marriage i think so but i think i was already an inhibited person before i even met him mm-hmm. so yes i think that that relationship let me continue the way i was mm-hmm. since i was a child yeah. yeah you're married again i am married again i got married last year um but i've been with uh my partner for oh nine years i guess not quite nine years this summer fall will be um yeah i uh after i broke up with my husband i had a few relationships i have been accused of being a serial monogamist um i'm mostly in relationships that's not really true but it it's it's pretty true Mm -hmm. um and so i had a series of relationships of levels of seriousness um several of them were long distance i think it's sort of interesting that i was like i need to be independent yet connected Mm. (laughs) um I, you know, so I have all this time to myself and I can do whatever I want and see my friends, but yet I've got a love person. And then um, somewhere in there, my really good friend, a part of my friend circle from work, uh, we kind of realized uh, we're into each other. <laughs> and so uh, so that, it's not the first relationship I had with a woman, but it's the first serious relationship I had with a woman. And I think she moved in three weeks after we got together because that's what lesbians do. <laughs> so the book says. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, when's the first time that you remember? Because and I nobody asks straight people. Right. When do you know like, you? When did you straight? figure it out? Yeah, you know. And I, I mentioned that before, and I interviewed uh, another person. You know, and but certainly society puts you in these lanes right Correct. so when do you realize like this lane and these guardrails are not fitting me like, yeah i think that like what i sort of realized i don't know i mean and had i been single in my 20s i may have recognized it earlier but i think that what i sort of realized is that the status quo is what doesn't fit and whatever is the opposite of that is what i need right now and so whether that's like me being adventurous or just really experiencing a thing I don't think that I was like 
I guess it's time to date a woman, but I was like, I think it's time to date someone who gets me on a different level and literally someone who I can talk to about anything, um, which I hadn't really experienced with men. And, and like, and so I think that there's like a, it doesn't have to be this way, of course, but there can be a power imbalance in a relationship just because of like 1950s sexual politics that still exist, right? So in a straight relationship, it's like I, my gut deferred to the guy in most of my relationships. Even when I was like, I'm strong and independent, like, and I'll do whatever you want. So yeah, so this was a relationship that didn't have any of that. Like all of a sudden it's like, wait, I can choose where we're having dinner? <laughs> like, I mean, and that's dumb. Of course, it's not like I never chose. But you know what I mean? It's like, uh, I don't know, just like a different level of like getting it and um, getting each other and just, you know, mostly communication and mostly like the not comp- competitiveness. Um, and so, um, so yeah, it was, uh, it, so it was a big decision that didn't seem big in my brain. I mean, of course it is, but it's like, it didn't seem big because it seemed like this relationship flowed out of everything. That's the most natural and authentic thing ever. Um, the outside world did not react that way. <laughs> um, I did not get a, Hey, good on ya from most friends and family. Most people were like, that's freaking me out. What was that like? Um, I think it, it, I mean, it was really bad for a while. I think like our own friends who like our friend circle, who was used to us all being friends, uh, now had a couple in the midst of it. I think that sometimes that would be even if it was straight. Um, but it really added to it cause it wasn't. Um, and, and she also had been in a really serious relationship that everyone was also really comfortable with that previous partner. And now she was bounced, you know, so there's like that, you know? Um, and so that was like in my circle of buddies who I've like created, I was, I felt like sort of, I don't know about betrayed, but that's the word I'm going to use. Um, and I think so did she, but I think that, but by the way, that's heals over time and Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel that way. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that also like, you know, for my parents, it's not what they pictured for me weirdly they didn't really like any of my relationships though so it's not like and that's i think it took them time to come to that like oh wait no she's just like a terrible picker of relationships anyway so why should this one be worse i know that's not what they thought but they were very very upset about it um and uh and it was it it was uh it was relationship ending to me with between me and my parents so i was like well we're done here and i think and that you know that was just a period of months but it was like that's that's fine with me that's frankly going to be healthier for me going forward um but then i think that they came around and were like you know what uh we just realized that you're willing to lose us for this so maybe it's really important where i think i had always done what authority figures told me to do and that, so like in that way it was a change in my relationship with my parents because they were like oh you called our bluff and so actually since then i get along with my parents better than I ever have because I've basically always thought they were really annoying and maybe sometimes toxic. And, uh, and now I'm like, I have so much more power in this relationship because I, you know, that I can live without you. And that's huge. Mm. Um, and, and you know, all of that is kind of unspoken. And then frankly, they liked Joyce better than they liked literally any relationship, but it took them a long time to get there Mm -hmm. because they were like, you're dead to us, you know? So it seems like, you know, spending the social capital at work mm-hmm. and 
growing into the I'm not going to be polite anymore mm. and into the, you know, IDGAF <laughs> way that you go about things sometimes. Yeah. Um, to what extent did this relationship help that or accelerate that or accelerate is a great word for it because i think i was already sort of there and then i have a partner that is like i'm also super there and we like bounce that stuff off all the time um and so i think that it's it's totally something that i was moving toward but like having a true like person who's totally in your corner and like honestly i'm not saying like people should date at work but like there is no shorthand needed, right? Like you're like, um, in the car on the way home, like, guess what this guy did today? You know that guy, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know what I mean? You know the situation, you know just even what teaching is like and how you win at teaching some days and you lose at teaching some days. And like, you know, so that like quick language, you know, that like isn't like, okay, now let me hear your story. And I know your thing is more important than me because it's about God. (laughs) (laughs) Or because you make more money than me, which was like my other serious relationship post-marriage. That person made like three times my salary. And there was a power imbalance there because of it. It was a nice one because I benefited from it sometimes. But like, you know what I mean? So, um, I mean, it's just huge to be um, so ultra comfortable. Plus, share earrings. <laughs> <laughs> um, so where, where are you at with, uh, with the God thing? Um, you know what? I am uh, like, it's cool you're there, bud. Don't really talk too much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, and like I said, I, I would say that I was never overtly religious, though I was churched. Um, so, and maybe this is like a Long Island thing. I don't actually know. Maybe it's just like a waspy thing. That's like, um, church is a social, it's like belonging to a country club. Mm-hmm. It's not, but it is maybe. So it's like a club I was in that I'm not in anymore. Um, but I never have had like strong, like, the uh, existential questions about, um, not going to church. Like it's not, you know there's a church it's just a piece of architecture mm-hmm. you know so it's like it's an easy thing to not belong to mm. how about the we, we talked very briefly about that you were probably a little depressed in college how, yeah uh, has that cropped up uh, at all um yeah then? so i think that in college i was like full-on like totally at least seasonal affective if not like you know i actually took prozac for a bit when that was kind of new Um, and I didn't feel good benefits from it. I didn't feel any benefits from it. Let me say that. And I had a professor who was like, you're not on the right thing then. Like, I mean, as professor, right. Who was like, dude, you're not on the right thing because it's supposed to work. And I was like, oh, huh. I should look into something else. So I've done talk therapy a bunch of times in life. And I just, I really love it partly because I was someone who kept all my feelings inside. So this is a great hour to share stuff. So I'm sure that that's like hugely beneficial for people who are like maybe introverted and maybe have lots of intellectual thoughts that they don't feel like anyone wants to listen to and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so that's been, you know, huge. I actually take uh, a medication for like a truly medical issue now, but when I read about it, when I first went on it, it's also prescribed as an anti-anxiety drug sometimes. And I'm like, I mean, cool. So I'm on my like, uh, you know, pinched nerve drugs that also help my anxiety. I mean, cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, but uh so yeah i think that i think that 
getting socially healthier helped me get mentally healthier. Um, but I think that it is something that I face periodically, you know, that's like, I'm overwhelmed by just life and, um, and to find the right person to talk to about that is really important, I think. Mm. So I've been asking folks uh, at the end of, uh, our time, if there's a book or album or movie, something like that, uh, that you've encountered in your life that kind of stands out as being. I don't know, influential or um, that kind of speaks to you that if I was making the soundtrack of your life, <laughs> it would be on it or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because like in planning even my intro and outro music for this, I you know thought of what are the soundtracky sort of things and which one do I just love versus which one says something about me, you know, is kind of was sort of an interesting experience. Um, I've always really loved music, even when the music was just eighth grade pop stuff. Um, and so, you know, just laying in bed, listening to music was like a big part of my whole life. I mean, not just, not, not just when I was a kid at all, you know? Um, and so, and I could listen to the same song 50 times on a day that I'm feeling that song, do you know? And so, um, so yeah. And I used to really love going to concerts. Frankly, don't have money <laughs> always to do that or now. Time, or time. Or, and plus they know. start after 8 PM. You know, and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, um, you know, the concert experience, like, you know, being with other people who are also like, yeah, I'm feeling this. I just love that. Um, it's really cool. Um, and so, so yeah, I mean, I could talk about tons of music. Um, you mentioned books though, too. And I will say that like I teaching killed my love of reading. I, I read so much for work stuff mm. that it's really hard for me to like read a novel anymore. And I really wish I did. And so I'll come home from a vacation, like, so proud. Like, I read a book <laughs> on the plane uh, when I used to read, like, five books a week. Yeah. But, um, you know, like, a book, though, not just a magazine, a whole book. Right. Uh, there was a plot. Um, so, but, yeah, but I will say that I read this book a few years ago uh, about, like, essentially, like, novice teachers, maybe three- to five-year teachers, and I was probably in my fifth year of teaching when I read it. It's called Finders and Keepers, and I can't remember the oh, woman's yeah, name. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, re I really love that. I, you know, like, I love that moment when you have that nod of recognition, when nobody is watching you, and you're like, mm-hmm, yes, right? Um, and so it's like, I was already onto something, but you've said it better than I ever could have. Um, I really love that, so... I can see the spine of the book too. It's on my shelf. I can't, I can't <laughs> it might be on mine. Think I of the author. <laughs> I gave away a lot of books, so I can't, I can't say it's on my shelf. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Okay, so uh, tell me about your outro music. My outro music is "If It Was from Paris" by Grace Potter and the Nocturnals. Um, Grace Potter is another band that I heard for the first time opening for what was my like favorite band to go see government mule. And she opened for them and I was like, wow, look at those legs. And I was straight at the time. So that's kind of a big deal. And, um, <laughs> but she's got pipes, right? She can sing. She's amazing. And I think it's funny when I chose these two songs, um, the first one being politics in space. And then this one being, if I was from Paris, there's an element of like, being not here is always a good thing <laughs> in both of my songs, which I didn't intend, but I do think that came off that way. Um, I love how like fun and powerful she is and how she'll just leave it all on the dance floor, basically, which is kind of how I kinda approach life these days. Right yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, thanks a lot. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Good to have you.
my interview with Jen. I enjoyed it. I hope you did too. You know, Jen has sort of a cynical and uh, uh, somewhat cynical and definitely acerbic wit that I don't think came through so much in, in the topics that we were talking about. And we had a really good conversation after the interview that I wish I recorded. Go to BrianTalksToHumans.net for some notes on the episode, some links to what we were talking about. If you click on contact, you'll see my email, my social media, and of course the button that will take you to Patreon to donate to the cause, trying to offset some of the cost of this equipment and the hosting fees on the uh, the website and on SoundCloud. Expect another episode in uh, about two weeks or so. Thanks for listening. Stay human. Because the streets are alive with the sound of Boba. Can I hear it once again? Boba. Tell your neighbor, tell a friend, every box got a right to be booming. Because the streets are alive with the sound of Boba. Can I hear it once again? Boba. Tell your neighbor, tell a friend, every flower got a right to be blooming. Because all the freaky people make the beauty of the world. All the